Verse 18. And ye in any wise keep yourselves from the accursed thing. Lest ye make yourselves accursed. When you take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver, everybody say silver, and gold, somebody say gold, the vessels of brass and iron, they are consecrated unto the Lord, and they shall come into the treasury of the Lord. Now, the 20th verse starts the most powerful moment in the narrative. The priests blow the trumpet, the people shout, and the walls fall down. By the seventh verse, or the seventh chapter, rather, Jericho is destroyed. And the children of Israel are moving on to Ai to fight again. And the word of the Lord said that Ai began to conquer the people of God. And why did it happen? Because of Achan. Now, I'm going to preach a little bit to you about the story of Achan so that you, know, you understand the context of where I'm going from today. But I feel like God's given me a word to help somebody in this place. And I want you to ask your neighbor this question this morning. Can you handle the victory? Can you handle the victory? You may be seated in Jesus' name. Now, I know that title right there is a, it sounds like a, it just came out of a southern book or something. Can you handle the victory? When I say can you handle something, that don't mean can you touch it. When, uh, when I was a boy, if you saw something, some dude that was a little bigger than you, but he had some ideas, you know, one of your buddies would look at you and say, can you handle him? That doesn't mean can you grab hold of him because you probably don't want to. If it's something you can handle, that means you can take care of it. You've got it. I heard my dad tell the story. I, I think he may have slipped out. He's got to preach in uh, Crawfordsville this afternoon. And I won't tell it like he tells it because you always tell stories about yourself and they sound better when you tell them, you know. But my dad told the story about this boy in school that had just picked on him and picked on him and picked on him. He got sick of it. I used to hear him tell it on the evangelistic field all the time. And he was preaching about when you've had enough and the enemy's pushed you as far as he can. And so the thing you find out about my dad is he's certainly not going to bump his head on any doorways walking through. But don't let that fool you. Because if you ever grabbed hold of him, you realize pretty quick you can't handle him. And he had all that locked in down at the ground, you know. And the taller I got, the, the bigger I thought I was. Until you realize when it came to that wrestling match, really the guy that had the lower ground had the upper hand. And uh, he could shift that weight just right. But my dad told the story as a boy that him and uh, Uncle David, they were both 5'6", five, 5'7", five, whatever, and uh, got picked on in school. And so finally this boy had, had all they could, they could stand, all they could handle. And my dad took the boy and picked him up, shoved him in the trash can. And uh, I'd, I'd have paid money to be there to see that. I really would have when the trash can was above his belly button. 
but he picked him up and he put him in the trash can because he had had enough. And at some point in your relationship with God, you're going to have to get to the place that you've just had enough. You've had enough of the enemy pushing you around. You've had enough of the enemy pushing your family. You've had enough of the enemy messing with your mind. Come on, somebody. You've had enough of the enemy stealing your emotional energy. You've only got so much. And you're always tapping out your emotional reservoir over things the enemy knows. Do you, do you realize, we talk about the end times and tribulation and all that. Do you know that one of the biggest things the enemy is going to use in the end time, read your Bible, it said that he's going to try to wear out the saints. If he can drain your emotional energy and wear you out, he will absolutely do it. And so that's why when you exhaust your emotions on everything else, and then you come to God and give him your leftovers, you don't feel like you used to feel. You don't cry like you used to cry. You don't dance like you used to dance and shout like you used to shout. You're out of energy. And you've given the enemy a place in your mind that he doesn't belong there. I think it's a sad, sad deal as we look back and realize it's the oldest trick the enemy has ever used. He walks into the domain of God's children in the garden and exercises dominion in a place that he wasn't supposed to have dominion. And the children of God gave him dominion in that place and he took over them and kicked them out of where they belonged to be. Now here's what you need to know today is that the enemy, the reason he wants your victory is because it's yours. It's the place that God has brought you to live triumphant and victorious. And if he can kick you out of that, it doesn't mean he gets your victory. Now that's where we got it wrong. Devil stole my victory. He didn't steal it. He made you leave it. Because when the Lord finished up with Adam and Eve in the garden, that didn't mean the devil came and stole the garden from them and he got to stay there. It means they lost it. And he was kicked out in the place that he should have been from the beginning. And so you have to understand that Judas found out this principle very quickly when he betrayed the Lord for 30 pieces of silver. The scripture said that he betrayed the Lord and then he got to feeling convicted about it and took all 30 pieces of silver back to the Sanhedrin and threw it on the ground. That means he lost everything that he had gained. And so you've got to quit having conversations that are going to lead to other conversations that are going to make you lose everything that you think you're gaining right now. At some point, you've got to just set your sail into the wind and say, this is what I'm going to be. This is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to live. And if anybody likes it, that's fine. If they don't like it, that's fine too. But I'm going to be a child of God. I'm going to give God my very best. And so we find out as we grow in the Lord, that people very easily find out that it is a mistake, it is not true, it's a misnomer, that when you come to serve the Lord, that your life just gets easy and all your problems go away and all your trials go away. As a matter of fact, it's quite the contrary. When people tell me that the devil's not bothering them at all and that the enemy's not fighting them at all and that they're not struggling at all, then I question their conversion. Because the enemy doesn't fight what he already has. He doesn't fight what he already possesses. 
And so when you come to the Lord and you have taken everything from him that he thought he had access to, he's going to fight tooth and toenail because he's got a short time. I'm telling somebody in this house today that your revelation of who God is has been predicated on the disappointment of what he did not do for you when you thought he should have done it. Did I say that slow enough for you to get it? People's revelation of God is built on disappointment of what he did not do for them. Because he is just nothing but a provider for them. I've dealt with people in the past who have bitterness in their heart. And they say, why would I serve the Lord when he let my mom die? When he let my dad die? When he let terrible things happen to me? So their revelation of who he is is based on the disappointment of what he did not do for them. And so they blame God. If God is real, why would I serve him when he let me go through what I had to go through as a little kid? And all of a sudden you realize you're holding God responsible for what the wickedness of men in the earth have done. When what you don't realize is it's the price that he paid to give us relief and freedom from the wickedness of men. And whatever the wickedness of men have done, it's by the power of his cross that you have the ability to walk out of that thing victorious and know that if that's the best the enemy could have given you to take you down, you're still walking. And you came out of that thing and you're still whole and God has healed your spirit. We're holding God accountable for the pain that we've been through, not realizing he's the only reason we're still walking. He's the only reason we still exist. He's the only reason any good thing's happening to us. I'm tired of the enemy making us believe that our statement of faith, our pronouncement of faith that we say, God, I'm going to trust you no matter what you do, makes us some kind of a weirdo and puts us on the back burner of life. Listen, men are going to be cruel and society is going to be cruel. But you hear me when I tell you that we have not received power as the sons of God to sit down when the enemy comes against us and suck our thumb and act like it's over for us. We've been given power and authority to stand against the adversary. And nothing he can do can destroy our soul. The Lord showed us through Job, you can touch anything in this realm, but you can't touch his soul. Back in the day. I used to preach about Bobo the Clown a lot at youth camps and uh, youth rallies. And I don't know how many of you ever had a Bobo. They, uh, they made this toy when I was a kid called Bobo the Clown. It had sand in the bottom. You blew it up. It's like a little torpedo looking thing about that tall. And it was weighted in bottom. Anybody here ever have one of those? It may not have been Bobo. It could have been He-Man or whatever. We had Bobo the Clown. It was weighted in the bottom, that sand. You'd blow it up and it'd stand up tall. I'm just telling you right now, you could beat the hawk out of that thing. I mean, it was awesome. We were doing like the, the Lex Luger moves and the Andre the Giant, you know. We were dropping it. Oh, oh man, it was crazy. And... Uh, Bobo was a, was a pretty neat little old deal because 
it was designed, and I don't have time to stay for a long time, but it was designed to get back up. That was the intention of it. You'd hit it, and the weight in the bottom of it, didn't matter what you do, it'd just stand right back up. And uh, the only way, really, that you could defeat Bobo was if you were to just take his air. If you deflated him and took his air, then he was done. And so we never really did get violent enough to stab him. You know, I mean, I, I wasn't trying to puncture him or anything. I just wanted him to know, like, I'm in charge here, buddy. And, man, I'd give him my best shot, and I'd kick him and throw him against the wall, turn around. Here he'd come right back up, you know. Just amazing. And that's something right there that I feel like, if I can say this with as much kindness as I have in me, this culture is eliminating that kind of mindset from people. It's like, you need to tell Bobo, you don't get a trophy if you stay down. Yeah. Woo. My Lord, it gets tied up in here when I start talking like this. Everybody wants their kids to do good. But I don't want to celebrate my kids losing. I want them to have the will to win. And I want them to have the team spirit to know if you don't win, you can try harder next time. It's not all about winning, but if you're not the best, then you don't get the trophy. You, you, you. Man. I remember running track meets at Axe Conference and stuff like that. And I'd come, I'd come back up and, man... I'd try to take that first drink of water, and I'd go to puking. Ran to 1,600. I came back up there. I'm in the infield of the, the track. I'm just barfing. You see these other little cute dudes, their hair's not messed up. They're not sweating or anything. And I'm like, that right there don't deserve a trophy. Y'all follow what I'm saying? Like, I'm puking because I wanted to win. And, and society needs to know, and I'm, I'm like all the dudes will know what I'm talking about right now. But a tap out don't deserve a trophy. You don't get to tap the mat and still be the winner. The point is, when you tap out, you quit. You don't win. And we're we're raising a generation of Christians that they feel like if they tap out. They get to start the match over. We need something to get down in the spirits of the 21st century church that says, I'm going to keep fighting. And every time the enemy comes against me, I'm going to stand back up. I'm not tapping out, I'm not quitting. It's like. Bible stories aren't real to us. They're, they're fictional stories. Like we, we celebrate all the overcomers in the scripture. We love, even worldly people love the story of David and Goliath. Because it's the underdog winning the battle. But let's not forget 
This was not a sparring match with boxing gloves. <laughs> it was a fight to the death. And David ran in with the mentality that if I die, I'd rather die fearless on the Lord's team than I would to stand back and be a fool and let him talk about the people of God. If that was today, Saul would be talking to Daniel in the tent and saying, Now, son, you don't have to do this. You'll still get ice cream. If you'll just hang out here, it's almost over. And that was the thing that was pushing David. Is this was the 40th day. And the rules of engagement were that if the enemy issues the challenge after the 40th day, he stays the champion. And David said, is there not a cause? There's more to that question than just saying, you guys should do something. The cause is that we're running out of time. This thing is almost over. And if somebody don't step up and let their voice be heard, then it's going to make God look like the fool. And that's why when David went running in, he didn't go running in with a shield and a sword. He went running in with the name of the Lord. It's the only thing that'll work in the end. This is what you've got to know is that God is always with his people. And that God knows how to let his people win. But if you're going to win with God, you've got to stay in the fight. You don't win by going home. You don't win by quitting. You don't win by tapping out. You don't win by throwing in the towel. You win because you stay. And you put your shoulder to the plow. And you refuse to go back. And you refuse to stop. I've been, I've been searching my heart. I've got, I've got to hurry, but I've been searching my heart. Because we're in a place, for real, we're in a place that the church has never been right now. When I say we're closer to the coming of the Lord, that's not rhetorical as in saying, yeah, because we've been preaching the coming of the Lord for 2,000 years. I'm telling you right now, we are close to the coming of the Lord. And, you know, you could get into pre or post trib. And if you really just want to get goofy about it, I don't think pre or post tribulation rapture is a matter of salvation at all. I don't think it's a doctrine of salvation. I think it's a perspective that you stand whether the Lord's going to come before the tribulation or after the tribulation. If you're, if you're post trib, there's no such thing as mid trib because I don't believe in the three and a half years of great tribulation. But my point to you is very simply this whether you're pre or post, I want you to understand that those two polar opposite ideas are only three and a half years apart from one another. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? So it doesn't really matter. On, on the grand scale of things, you say, oh, it's been 2,000 years. You're only looking at a three and a half year difference between either opinion. So whether or not you think the temple's got to be finished and that uh, the abomination of desolation has to happen in the temple before the coming of the Lord. Or you believe that we'll see the abomination of desolation and then the Lord will come after the, the, the two witnesses have been raised up in the street after three days. Whether you believe that's going to happen pre or post, whatever you believe, I'm telling you it's a short window of time. Either way, it's three and a half years difference. And the closer we get to the coming of the Lord, 
I'm troubled in my spirit because I'm watching people in the church world trying to determine how much we can get by with and still be saved. I can't believe we're this close to the coming of the Lord and people are still wondering if holiness and separation are necessary. They're at a place right now where they're saying, well, I don't know if that's necessary for me to be saved or not. Well, let me just preach old-fashioned to you and tell you, I'd rather pass through the gate and get there and the Lord say, man, you did a little too much. Then to get there and realize because of my flesh and questions that I thought ought to be answered in my carnal nature, I'm not taking any chances. Spirit of the beast is that whenever you're victorious, you've got to know how to handle the victory. David destroys Goliath and he comes back into the city and it's time for arrogance to kick in. If David's going to be arrogant because when he comes back into the city, the women of the city are singing, Saul has slain his thousands. David is ten thousands. This is a good chance for David to... Bow his chest up, flex his arms a little bit, walk in and say, I deserve the best treatment. Give me the finest robe. Give me the best chariot you got. I'm the man. I made this happen. No, no, no. That battle was not yours, David. God used you. Don't ever ask God to use you if you're not really willing to be used. I've counseled with people before that felt like they had been used. When you've been used, that means somebody else used your resources to fulfill their plan. And some of you are looking at that like, oh, God, I hate them people for using me. Maybe what you don't know is they were just getting you ready to be used by God. Maybe they were just preparing you to realize and understand that you're more valuable than you ever dreamed. Can you imagine? I want you to think about it like this. If I could break it down Gerber style for you real quickly. I want you to think about this. Before you start resenting God using us in the end time, before we start resenting, oh God, why would you let us go through that? Why would you let us? I want you to think about this. We are literally the currency in the pocket of God that is purchasing end time revival. The Apostle Paul said, I would gladly spend or be spent. Think about this. You are so valuable to God that you are the currency that God is using to buy the greatest global harvest that the world has ever known. But what if we have to go through the tribulation? Then die with the name of Jesus on your tongue. We, as the church of the living God, have been given victory after victory after victory after victory after victory after victory. Now, our prayers before the victory are different than the prayers after the victory. Can I just be honest this morning? Can I preach a little bit this morning? Because our prayers before the victory are, God, I don't know how in the world we're going to do this. And then God steps in and makes a way. And our spirit afterward is, look at what we've done. Am I preaching to anybody right now? 
We're like, God, if you don't do this, we're going to die. If you don't make a way, we're going to fall apart. And we come through that part and we sit down with other people that are about to go through the same thing. So, well, I can tell you what I did when I was in that situation. I don't want this to sound mean today. I'm telling you, this is where God's got the church right now. We're trying to figure out how to work this out between how much glory we think we deserve and how much glory he thinks he deserves. And somewhere in the middle of the road, we're going to find a happy medium there. No such thing. If you make it through this end time, it ain't going to be because you were the strongest person in the world. It's going to be because you trusted in the name of the Lord above all else. And David goes running through the street and they're saying, oh, he's slain his 10,000. He hadn't slain 10,000. He had just killed a lion, a bear, and one man. Think about that. David has slain his 10,000s. Hogwash. They were singing of the potential in the heart of that king. They were singing of the potential of the enemies that he would slay. Yet you'll find that with David, even after that, every time he went in to battle, he relied on the name of the Lord. He was one of the bloodiest kings in history. That's why the Lord wouldn't let him build the temple. Yet every time he went in, the prophecy was on him. You're going to slay ten thousands. But when he went into battle, he'd say, Lord, I can't do it without you. If we ever get to the place that we start feeling like we deserve the glory for the great things that God has done, we are in trouble at the rapture of the church. Oh, God. I'm trying to help somebody this morning. Man, I'm preaching through all kinds of devils today. I'm preaching through all kinds of spirits today because the enemy don't want you to get what I'm preaching to you right now. You watch people, this is how it happens. Things start falling apart in their life, their family, their marriage, their life, whatever, their job. So they come to God and they start making promises. Lord, if you'll get me through this, I'll serve you. Until he gets them through it. And then it was their resolve that got them through it. Huh. Well, it's only because, I'm, it's only because I was merciful and stayed around. And it's something like we were so desperate we were about to die. God, if you'll put this back together, God, I'll serve you all my life until it gets back together and we start feeling normal again. Then we lose our desperation. So you got to understand where we're at today in the book of Joshua. The children of Israel have just come through a good Lord. I'm talking about a crazy time. It was separation time. This is why this is pushing in my spirit. It was a time of separation. A bunch of the old uh, covenanted men in the Old Testament that had come through the wilderness, they had, they had passed away. And the scripture said that now it was a generation of young men that had not been circumcised. They were going to try to enter into the promised land on their father's covenant. Oh, Lord, I'm preaching. They're standing at the Jordan River and it's time for them to cross over and possess. And the younger generation saying, well, shoot, if it don't cost me what it cost my dad, let's just get it done. 
So we're looking at the church of old and we're saying, I don't think it's necessary to do that anymore. I don't think it's necessary to be that anymore. I don't think it's necessary to live like that anymore. Why would we start talking like that when we're this close to Jordan? And the Lord let them know clearly that the crossover. Now, if you're taking notes, write this down. The crossover generation will have to pay just as much to get across the river as their fathers did to come out of Egypt. We don't get closer to the coming of the Lord and it cost us less to make it in. So the Lord lines all this up and he says, y'all going to have to get in covenant. They get in covenant and then he gives them a season of rest. He lets them rest. Their bodies heal. They go across the Jordan River, which was a miracle itself. The power of it. I wish I had time to preach about it. The priests put their feet in. And I believe this is the difference in the, in, in the exodus from Egypt and the entering to the promised land. At the Red Sea, the Lord told Moses to hold his staff out. He holds his staff out and the, 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 the Red Sea parts and they cross. As they're going into the promised land, it was a little different feeling. Because the priest had to walk off into the water before it parted. So the closer they got to possessing, it was a different level of faith. This time we're not just walking across what God has already done. We're going to have to walk in a little deeper measure of faith. And the priest had to step off into the water and take a few steps into the depth and realize that if God doesn't intervene, we're going to sink. We're at a place right now where the worst thing in the world we could do is stand on the banks of the Jordan and debate with God whether or not it's worth the risk to walk on in. It's time for us to step into the water, wade out a little bit deeper. Oh, my God. The only way God is going to satisfy us in this end time, I'm just talking about me. The only way God's going to satisfy me is with an old-fashioned Holy Ghost outpouring of revival. I don't want anything less. I don't want a counterfeit. I don't want to wait for everybody else to get through the Jordan before I finally say, well, I guess if they made it, we'll be okay. I want to jump right in the middle of it. I want to walk with it. When the glory comes by, I want to walk in it. I want to go after it. What I'm about to say could, could come off critical if you don't know my heart. But I'm going to tell you something. If we're not careful, we're going to lose the dynamic of Pentecost. We're trying to make our services duplicatable. Please understand. I'm not saying this critically. Please know my heart. But it's impossible in a truly apostolic dynamic to sing the same three songs and preach the same exact sermon and get the same result. You can't do it. You just, you, I mean, like my, maybe I'm way out here in West left field somewhere. I promise to God that with this church right here for the next three months, we could just pick our five favorite songs, sing them every service. I could preach out of the same text and not one single service would be the same. And we're trying to duplicate in the flesh. Instead of letting the Holy Ghost take over. And maybe I'm just old fashioned. But I'm telling you right now that I don't believe that 
the church at the exit of the church leaving this world is going to be something that just anybody can duplicate. Son, it is tied up in here this morning. I'm telling the Lord today, I said, God, I'm troubled. We haven't baptized anybody in two or three weeks. I'm troubled. I haven't seen anybody get the Holy Ghost in several weeks. I'm troubled. But why would that matter when we can just have good church? We're standing at the Jordan River. It's time for us to walk off into the deep things of God. We're standing back saying, well, God, I feel like you owe it to us. You owe it to us to part this thing. You part the Red Sea that way. We're not going to go about this a different way. So we're not going to walk in until you part it. And if you don't part it, we're not walking. Well, then you won't possess. So they walk into Jericho. And Joshua looks over. And standing against the walls, a mighty angel of the Lord. I'm glad to be in a church that still believes in angels. Had somebody tell me several years ago, an older preacher, he said, we don't need angels in the church. He said, that's why we got the Holy Ghost. The angels were in the Old Testament. We don't need angels anymore. After we got the Holy Ghost, we don't need angels. It's like, my God, you've been in Acts 12? <laughs> Everywhere you look, after the church was born, angels were there. They're still working. Angels that were with the people of God in the Old Testament, they're with the people of God in the New Testament. If you don't believe in angels, we're going to be in trouble because the scripture said that the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel. We're not even going to have a rapture without the angels. And so here he came. He walks over to the angel of the Lord and he said, you with us are for our enemy. He said, nope. You're not getting me in your mess. I'm not for you and I'm not for them. He said, I'm here to represent the Lord. He said, I am here as an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. You with us or with them? No. I'm here on an assignment from heaven. I am here to not do earthly business. I came to the earth to do heavenly business. He said, here's the orders. Walk around the walls. Six days and on the seventh day, you got to get to walking because it's going to be a while. But on the seventh time around, on the seventh day, you can finally open your mouth and say something. I'm telling you right there, folks. A bunch of us would have been backslid at the wall of Jericho. If the, look, if it didn't have nothing to do with drinking, cussing, smoking, nothing. If the only rule was just be quiet, we'd, all, we'd be burning up in hell. You can't say nothing for six days. Oh, just count me out. I'm done. I'm out. Six days, can't say anything. On the seventh day, you can't say anything until the seventh time around. Now, after the seventh time around, we, we were right at it today. I didn't read the whole story because hopefully you know a little bit about the story. But does anybody read that once they started shouting, they all drew their swords, got out their machetes, M16s, went to blowing people's heads off? Really? What happened? They shouted. Walls fell down. They walked into the city, and the Lord said, this is the spoil. This is the victory. But the Lord spoke to them just before the walls came down. And this was, listen, 
I don't know if you, if, if you got the same thing out of this as I did, but this is what the Lord said to them. He said, I want to know if you can handle the victory. Because when these walls come down, you're going to be exposed to spoil you never have seen with your eyes. There's going to be gold and silver. Jericho is a wealthy city. And when I get through knocking these walls down, you're going to be exposed to wealth like you have never known. He said, but I want you to understand that the wealth is not for you. The wealth is for my treasury. And the walls get knocked down. And victory comes. And all of the riches come into the treasury. And they get to Ai. And it's time for another victory. And they're not getting victory. So they start blaming the Lord. And the Lord says, I'm not the problem. It's that man that couldn't handle victory. It's the man that when I exposed him to blessing for the kingdom of God, he took it and hid it in his own tent. And he goes, Joshua comes to Achan. He said, son, what's wrong with you? He said, it's not much. I took just a little wedge of gold and a Babylonian garment. I've got just enough of Babylon in my tent to make us lose. Have you ever wondered how much Babylon it takes and how much gold it takes that doesn't belong to a church to make us start losing victory? And the Lord said, I know now that not every one of you know how to handle victory. Because I trusted you with the spoil. But the spoil has spoiled you. I'm fixing to preach to you, church. I'm about done. I know some of you are like, oh God, he's just getting started. I'm getting ready to preach to you right now. I'm going to tell you where God has us prophetically. You listen to me. There's some dark days that are ahead of us. We're going to go through some things. But I believe with all my heart that no matter what we face, you're not going to bankrupt God's treasury. I don't care what your personal value is right now. I don't care what your nest egg is right now. You listen to what I'm telling you. All these people talking about, well, they're, they're printing off all this money, man. Our money's going down to nothing. Listen, American money may go down to nothing, but the treasury of God will always. What are we going to do, Pastor? What are we going to do? I'm going to tell you something. If my dollar is worth 50 cents, I'm going to keep paying my tithe. If our job, if, if everybody goes $15 an hour and the economy crashes and whatever happens, I don't care if you're for it or against it, I'm telling you, it doesn't change anything. God is still in control. And we've got to learn right now how to handle victory. Because if God starts giving us victory and we start storing it up because we're afraid that he's not God enough to take care of us on the other side of Ai, we're in trouble. Doomsday preppers. Now, I ain't going to lie to y'all. I got me some Vianney sausages stored up. I do. It's not something I, I eat every day, but I got Vianney sausages. I've got Spam. I've got canned soup. 
I've got dried out food. I've got dried eggs. I've got dried taters. Now, that's not a bunch, so don't you knock on my door. I got some stuff stored up, but it's not because I'm worried. Because honestly, if it gets as bad as some people say it's going to, the closer we get to the coming of the Lord, that ain't going to last. Ain't going to last. I mean, Lord, I believe in preparing. I got the dried out dehydrated soup and some AR-15 rounds. <laughs> Hallelujah. What's AR-15 rounds for? To keep my soup. Because a bowl of soup's going to be more valuable than that bullet. But if somebody pillages my house and takes everything I've got, if I've shown the Lord in the times of good that I know how to handle victory. Man, I bet y'all didn't know I was going to try to preach an end time sermon on this this morning, did you? The Lord is trying to show us that I can't advance you into the promised land until you learn how to handle my blessings and learn how to handle my victories that I'm sending to you. Church, listen to your pastor today. If you don't hear anything else I've preached, let me preach to your heart and tell you, settle down and be still. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Fear not. God is with us. going to do if it all falls apart the same that I'm doing while it's together <laughs> pastor I don't know if we can make it if you don't know how to handle victory right now you won't make it I believe that God has been working on our hearts over the last year more than I've ever seen in my life to prepare us for what is to come and I'm going to tell you what I've seen. I've seen people that have fallen into the trap that is so sad to me. I've watched people who had the spirit through the years like, ain't no church going to tell me what to do. And as soon as the government tells them what to do, they do it. It's a spirit. It's because you can tell where they're worried about losing or gaining. I don't let no church tell me what to do. Do you know what the, what the word even means? The church even is? The ecclesia in the New Testament? The Greek word church, ecclesia? It's God's government in the earth. And we've been saying for years, we're going to say no to God's government and yes to man's government? we got to learn how to handle victory. It'd be all right with me if the church of the living God says, Hey, listen, there's some things we just don't do if you want to make it to heaven. And I'll be all right living that if I can make it to heaven. But I'm not going to buy into every lie that this world gives us. People say, oh, we're a long ways from a pastor. It ain't going to happen. My wife, bless her little heart, she wants a sunny vacation somewhere. And I got a, she got an email the other day that one of our favorite cruise companies is going to start cruising again. Woo. Woo. 
She got all excited and she was like, girls! Am I lying? We're sitting on the sofa. She's like, girls! They're going to start sailing again. And she goes, oh, never mind. She got to the bottom. And this is what it said. This is what it said. Oh, God, here we go. Don't, Don't anybody go running off this morning. Only people with proof of vaccination will be able to sail on these sailings. Oh, I just, I mean, I just think, I think we just need to go get it all done. I'm telling you right now, you choose what you're going to choose. But understand when I tell you, when we get to the spirit that they're saying, if you don't do this and you don't do this, we're getting closer and closer and closer. Oh, pastor, get a clue. They're saying right now you don't live here without paying taxes. That's right. Because it's been the desensitization of century after century after century. And we're coming to the place right now where... I know, I know. Everybody thinks they're just all stupid people going for Dr. Seuss. You just wait. That's not the last book they're going for. They don't want Dr. Seuss. They want this one. And we've got to learn how to handle victory right now. If this book has dust on it in your house, you're not ready. I'm telling you right now, if they can cancel Pepe Le Pew and let rapists walk our streets, don't you think they're not coming to cancel the church? But what they don't know is a little secret. Pepe don't have a big backing. But you can't cancel the church because the Lord said from the beginning, upon this rock, I'll build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Oh, let's stand. I'm done. Why are you preaching this, Pastor? I'm going to tell you why I'm preaching it today. Because I've watched the transition. It took us 12 months. Brother Joe... Man, I'd sit at home and I'd see y'all's faces and sitting in my house. I'd see all of you. And, I'd, man, I'd start crying. I can't wait to hug Joe Green. I can't wait to worship the Lord with him. I start seeing all the saints of God. I can't wait to be back together. I can't wait to hear Brother Hansel go, whoo. Yeah. <laughs> Serious. And I'd just cry. I'd sit at the house. Man, I can't, I can't wait for Brother Kevin Allen to walk up and hug me. After church. You're always so encouraging, Brother Kevin. Thank you. Can I, couldn't wait. Man, I just cried. And everybody was sending messages and calling. Oh, God, we can't wait to get back together. And then you, then you start wondering, how well do we do with victories? Because in in one year's time, right now, one year's time, we've gone from being so desperate to get back together to where we're just phasing right back into normal. We're going to start. We started back into youth rallies again. We started back in. I'm 
I'm preaching conferences for the next couple weeks. I'm not missing here. You're okay. My flight comes back home before Sunday. You're going to be all right. You'll make it. It's getting crazy again. We've got conferences happening. People are like, whoa. And none of us are storing up in the treasury of the Lord. What are you going to do if it's not COVID, but it's something else? And it will be. It'll be something else. It may not, it may not be something you get sick in your body. Who knows what it's going to be? I'm just telling y'all. Keep your big boy britches on, your big girl skirt on. Because it's coming. But if we don't learn how to handle victory right now and seek him every day and get in his word every day, I'm going to tell you we're going to be in trouble. Oh, don't say, don't, don't say it's going to happen to us, Pastor. I'm telling you the reason why, and they did it in Jesus' name. That's what's sickening if you really look at church history. The reason that church people supposedly took Bibles out of people's homes is they didn't want them getting it in their heart. We ought to learn from that lesson, Sister Doris, and get this book in our heart so that when they come and they start burning our houses and start burning our Bibles, oh, that ain't going to happen. Well, just because it don't happen on your street don't mean it's not happening. You ought to sit down with missionaries. Oh, God. I hope I'm not breaching confidence. I sat the other day with Brother Kobe. He said, Brother St. Clair, I'll be honest with you. He said, I believe that if this thing hits and we go through great tribulation, he said, I believe Europe is going to be where it starts. He said, to be honest with you, if you understand the history of Bulgaria, he said, I really believe it right there where we're at, Bulgaria is going to be a hot spot. I was like, you're wanting to go back. Why? Because we've learned how to handle victories. If we won't work while it's still day, then you won't work when the lights go out. I'm asking this church today to step out. I'm, t I'm asking somebody without big fanfare at all. I'm just asking you to make a commitment today. If you're willing, no matter what happens, to give God your best until he calls us out of here or he calls you out of here. I'm just asking you right now to give that to the Lord. You're not making a commitment to pastor right now. You're not making a commitment to FPC. You're making this commitment to the Lord. Lord, I'm thankful for every day of freedom and every day of victory that we've got. But we've got to learn how to handle this victory before you can let us have victory at AI. Lord, if you're going to bless us financially right now, then help us to store up in the treasure house of the kingdom of God. Because we'll never bankrupt your treasury. I'm seeing things happen right now that my granddaddy preached was going to happen. It's happening right now. He's a precious man of God that's taught end time prophecy all my life. I'm not saying I agreed 100% with everything that he taught in his eschatology but brother Irvin Baxter was just phenomenal brother Baxter man he laid it out there he just for years gave it his best he died towards the end of the mass hysteria part of COVID with complications and I saw him on a video last night I was on YouTube and I saw a video and I saw brother Baxter come on mom and I, 
I got so emotional in my heart and I said, you know what? I bet he really believes everything he was teaching now. I bet you Irvin Baxter believes right now more than he ever believed. It's worth it to just live for God. I saw him. God gave him an opportunity to be on national television. He was talking about the coming of the Lord. God elevated him because he could trust him. He knew how to handle victory. One of those men who was interviewing him said, Brother, Brother Baxter, are you 100% convinced that your idea of the coming of the Lord is going to happen when it does? He said, no. This is, my, this is, this is how I feel. This is my conviction. He said, well, then, then what would you say? He said, I would say to anybody in, in communist China, United States of America, anywhere in the world, he said, the number one thing I'd say to anybody is stay ready. Stay ready. FPC, stay ready. Keep your lamps trimmed and burning. There's a reason why there's two grinding at the mill and one is taken and one's left. There's a reason why there's ten virgins, five foolish, five wise. Uh, Pastor, I believe we can get in on that 144,000. You take your risk if you want to. I'm going to be ready at the coming of the Lord. I'm going to be ready when he calls me out of here. I'm asking you to stretch right now towards heaven and say, God, I'm committing to you today. I'm not going to walk away from this thing. I'm not going to hide victories in my heart. We're going to move on from faith to faith and victory to victory into the coming of the Lord.